sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. All right, welcome. How's it going? Welcome back to the show. This is Moving the Needle podcast, live intro for you. I'm Andrew Nietling, but you hopefully know that. And if you're new to the show, welcome. I've got a super special guest. I'm lucky to have him on. Unfortunately for him, the reason I've got him on is because he's had a little bit of an injury leading up to the World Cup season. One of the fastest and most consistent downhillers of our time. And I don't know if it's going to be done again. And when I say consistent, we're not talking top 10s, top 15s. We're talking podiums and wins. Three World Cup wins. I don't even know if he knows how many times he's been in the top three overall in the World Cup season or for the season. Two-time junior world champion. And uh, he actually shared a picture of him and I when he was a little whippersnapper and I was on the circuit. Troy Brosnan, I'm excited. I'm sure you're a little bit uh, bum that you got the time to sit down and have a chat. Yeah, how's it going? Um, I am a little bit bummed, obviously, getting so close to the first World Cup um, and and also, you know, breaking my ankle at National Champs uh, isn't ideal. Um, but this this is what happens and this is how it goes. So um, I've uh, been pretty lucky for the last 10 years and, uh, yeah, I think a, a broken ankle is is not the end of the world, so... Well, that's a pretty good attitude, and I guess you didn't get those accolades and have those overall finishes in a World Cup season getting hurt or riding way above your pay grade. And, you know, it, it takes it definitely takes luck, but it seems like it's quite a methodical uh, approach to you. And But you're also someone that takes pride in the national champ sleeves. So you're obviously going for the win there. It's not just a prep race for you? Yeah, exactly. Like, national champs for me is... Um, I guess like a, I guess a preparation race for the World Cups, but it's also a massive confidence builder um, and, a, and a great thing that I take pride in wearing the sleeve at the World Cups as well. So um, it is definitely a big uh, race that I put a lot of, um, I guess, you know, pressure on myself and, and emphasis on to do well. Um, I feel like it's a great stepping stone and, and one of the only races um, that I do uh, before the first World Cup. So, um, yeah, I was definitely going for the win. And for me, it was unlucky. I just kind of fell a bit offline. Um, and as I tried to cross back over, I kind of hit an edge and, and that was all it wrote and crashed. So um, not a not a pushing the limit kind of crash, but just a bit of an unlucky one. But, uh, yeah, I think um, a lot of, you know, Australians really want that sleeve and, and I guess everyone from their country wants to run the sleeve because it kind of just separates you um, when you're at the World Cup and, and it kind of feels pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it is a title. You could say, okay, it's the Aussie title. There's five or six guys that could win it or whatever it is. But, I mean, it's a prestigious title to win with a lot of history there. So I, I know what you mean. You know, we had the same with South Africa. If you are home, you're like, yeah, I should give it a shot because it is cool to have that sleeve. But what did you end up doing to the ankle? There's obviously enough pink bike warriors telling me what you did on the comments. But, you know, finally after you had the surgery and all that, what what was it? What does it look like? What does the recovery look like? Yeah, so um, I have broken the lower part of my tibia. So 
um, just the kind of the bit that goes around the, the ankle joint itself. So it's not, it's not high up on the tibia or anything. It's just kind of a, a little chunk off the bottom um, and torn the syndesmosis tendon that kind of holds the whole ankle um, and those bones tib and fib together down there. So um, two screws in the bone in the tib to kind of like um, hold it all together and then the repair of the the ligament and tendon around the syndesmosis. So um, we're not 100% sure on on kind of time frame yet. I've got to be non-weight bearing for about a month and then it'll be another month or so before I probably get back on any downhill bike um, after that. So I would say a good two months um, from any downhill bike riding and then uh, maybe three months before I could even look at going back to a World Cup. But you never know. Like I, I've been doing everything I can for um, the recovery and, um, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully my body and, and being healthy and fit and a young kind of athlete, I'll be able to uh, recover quicker. Yeah, you've you've had pretty good go at a touchwood. You know, I get asked the question as well and maybe I see a little bit of myself in you but not to the extent that you've, performed so consistently but I was you know I was always like risk management and apart from if I'm the research is correct like you had that big crash I think it was 2012 was it your first year elite where you kind of missed the season you got hurt maybe at a an IXS yeah. Leo gang or something like that from what memory helps me recall there but other than that like you seem to have like methodically planned out so it's kind of one of the biggest injuries you've had in the last 10 years really you know that it's two, three months that you might be set out. Yeah, for sure. Like the, yeah, 2012, um, I was riding really good, come off of um, that elite podium as a junior in 2011 at Val Like won national champs at the start of 2012 and just beat Sam to get that. And then, um, yeah, kind of leading into the, the season I was feeling really good and then ruptured my spleen and, and missed out that season. So I felt like that, that year could have been a very big breakout ride. Like everything was feeling good on the bike and we had like the latest, you know, geometry and stuff, which was a big thing back then with, you know, everything changing direction pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, since then, I guess I've been pretty lucky with um, like crashes and, and not, injuring myself that's brought me to be you know out of races so um i broke my hand at the very end of 2018 um just before world champs still race world champs um but obviously you know i think i got about eighth or tenth or something and it wasn't a bad ride but a hand was just a bit too sore but apart from that i've not had any i guess season enders or or anything that's gonna you know put me out for a long time and same with this break, like it's it's kind of annoying because it's so close to the season. Um, it's kind of going to push me out for a, a few races, but at the same time, like it's kind of, you know, I'll be able to get to at least world champs at, at the very least um, and be, you know, confident of trying to win world champs. Um, so I'm not, I'm not too upset about it like obviously i'd way rather be going overseas and and being over there and racing but um yeah for how well i've done in the past and um being consistent and and not getting injured is has been pretty good so i think this is uh just something that happens with racing and and i think uh yeah i gotta 
you know, count my lucky stars more than, you know, sit on the couch right now and be upset about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, you've mentioned like with your consistency and strategy and I've seen it, you are quite even killed with the emotions and, and you've just mentioned like, you know, I can count my lucky stars, take the positives. You still get back into the end of the season probably, but has it always been like that for you, being able to manage the emotions like from a from a young age? Did your parents help instill that? Did you see it from Sam Hill? Like, you know, it does normally take a lot more years than um, than I've seen with you to have that consistency, but and that comes in like the emotion side. Yeah, I I think, yeah, a lot of it is obviously to do with the the way I was raised with mum and dad coming through BMX um, and then going into downhilling. I guess I've also been, um, I guess, mentored by a lot of great riders and people in this sport with Sam Hill, Brendan Fairclough, um, the, you know, Sean and JC on the, on the team there. And then going into a team with Aaron Gwynn and, and just everyone that I've kind of been with in teams leading up to when I've had a lot of my successes has been very big learning curves from, those certain people. So, um, I think, I think that's helped a lot with my racing side, um, and being level headed throughout the races. Um, but I think, I don't know whether it's just an Aussie thing. We are, we're all pretty relaxed and laid back and, and don't get wound up on too many things. So that could definitely help with my emotions, whether I have a good race, bad race, a crash in practice qualifying or, or anything. It's kind of, uh, you know, I guess for us Australians, the the day goes on and and you and you just get to enjoy it the next day. So, um, yeah, I guess that's helped a bit. And I don't know, just maturing. Um, I've always hung out with an older crew in the downhilling scene, like all my friends back home that have raced were a good four or five plus years older than me. Um, so I've kind of I matured a lot quicker than than what I would have if I wasn't riding and racing with them. And that's probably helped me kind of uh, level out a bit as well. And um, I guess last year I took a bit of a, a bigger stab at, at um, not trying to be as consistent and, and some of the races worked out and some I kind of crashed and, and uh, it didn't work out. So I guess now I'm starting to, um, you know, use the, the knowledge that I have from being consistent and trying to, uh, I guess attack when I when I think I can and know I can and and see if I can get a bit more you know wins under my belt instead of just being that consistent third place kind of rider you know yeah I mean it's definitely a talking point but you've touched on it I was thinking about that so 2021 it was like what you've just said it was a, a conscious strategy change of like okay I've got the consistency but maybe if I attack for some wins, I could get the overall or, you know what, I'm sick of being, you know, like it's great being third when you're younger, but now I'm sick of being known as a third place guy. Like I know I could win these races. Maybe I need to turn it up a bit. Cause you saw like Umri, like that's, that's not a 95% run. That's a 110% run. Like he's, he's either going to almost win that thing or he might, he might end up crashing out. Yeah, for sure. Which I guess, um, it shows to how how a rider goes about their racing. Um, like Amri, I guess, is, has been a quite a 
excited um, rider and racer from from day one, and he's always been very out there and on edge, and that's where he kind of rides to and and is comfortable in that area, which is really impressive. Um, where I guess my approach is more smooth, consistent, and working up to a speed where I can do that this run, you know, like almost nine out of ten times without fail. So um, there's two different ways to go about it, and uh, yeah, I guess last year, um, the first World Cup, like, went really well. got the win. Um, like, I didn't feel like that run was anything too special. Um, it was kind of, I guess, I was just on form and, and everything was clicking and falling into place. And then from there, um, I tried to kind of, I guess, to twist the throttle a little bit more um, in Leger, and that's when I kind of crashed out in qualifying and then, it was just a bit hard to recover from that crash um, in the race run plus the rain that, that came down didn't help everyone. So um, after that, I guess I was a little bit, I don't know, kind of trying to build my confidence back up and um, whatnot with the little break. I wasn't able to get back home um, due to COVID, so that kind of hurt my little reset button, you can kind of say. When, when you do go overseas and travel and race and come back home, you – athletes seem to find this reset button that just helps so much with racing and, and everything else. So um, I didn't get to find that. And then I went into the, the next World Cup in Maribor and I was just completely off the pace. There was nothing I could do that would help on the bike or lines or confidence was just down a bit. So um, it's hard. Like you kind of going up and down throughout the season and and last year was the most up and down I've kind of been through a whole season where races have been really good where I've won and then I've crashed and then I had just a bad race because I was off form and then we went into Lenzide and got a flat tire in qualifying so I didn't get any points for that and then tried too hard in the race run and crashed again. So I guess um, for me there was a lot of uh, pushing too hard and, and feeling the urgency to try and do something to, you know, to get back these points and try and stay in the championship. Um, and at that same time, I guess it's not what I've normally done. And I guess I threw a couple races away. So um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, like how, how well you can do and, and how quickly things can change. Um, but then to kind of go into worlds and, and knowing worlds is such a big race and, and uh, you know, there's, you kind of have to ride on that edge whether whether you'd like it or not, um, to come away with a really good run there and get third, um, not very far off the win at all, was awesome. It was good for my confidence and everything. Obviously, I wanted the win because as we all would at World Championships, but um, I was pretty happy to come away with the medal and be so so close and kind of regain my confidence to be like, no, you are one of the, the top riders this season. You are on pace to, to do well. That's fascinating to hear. Even the likes of you, with your track record, can 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 battle with confidence. You know, I'm sure guys listening are, are, would think that you're just so mentally strong, like nothing phases you. But even something like not getting home, and I, I wanted to ask about that. I I also I was pretty burnt out middle of the year. If I didn't get to go home or I didn't get some fun and like reset, you're totally right. Like, it's nothing you can do. You needed to just maybe get away from the sport see your family, um, be home. Um, I know you're quite a homebody as well. And it's tough for you. And it's different to the other guys who get to go home. And 
like a bad race is so much easier to deal with when you just like get home and I don't know, you've got dogs, don't you? And you're married now. Like it's just this calming effect. And you're like, oh, okay. It doesn't actually mean that much. I'll refocus. I'll train. Like I want to go out and fight for it. So it's, it seems like worlds gave you that fight. You're like, okay, I just got to get to this end of the season. I remember like a spike in my motivation. Okay. I've only got two or three races. I might as well make the most of those. And man, you've been close before with the, the the second as well the the few years before that so it's that does that must piss you off a bit because it's not like you're consistently fourth or sixth and you're fast but you're not like a race winner like you're a race winner but there's like a split second or Loic just pimps you or something like that must piss you off a little bit for the off season yeah for sure like that I guess for world champs that just uh yeah, it hurts a bit being so close. Like I've gotten three elite medals. Um, 2014, I got third behind um, G and Ratboy, and that was like 0.4 of a second as well. So every single like medal that I've ever gotten at World Champs, I've been under a second or under half a second from from winning the gold. So that definitely uh, – definitely puts a nail in the coffin a little bit um but that kind of fired me up like you said where when you've got world champs um I'm one of the riders that that is like one thing that I really want to do and and achieve in the elite category before I retire from this sport so um a lot of my focus and and kind of training and everything is gathered around world champs to to win that race um obviously as you know fabian brill has been very good at that in the past um and has been lot doing lots to help me and guide me kind of towards you know focusing for world championships and that single run seeing as that's the you know the pinnacle of this sport to be the world champion so i think um yeah like now it's kind of good to be able to have the option to come home, um, rest up and, and do that reset with the dogs, with the wife and family and, and friends. And it definitely makes a big, a big thing. Like you could, I guess, picture, you could go away for work for, I don't know, a good two, three months. Um, you're going to be over it, right? Like as much as racing bikes is our jobs, it's also fun at the same time. But when you're away from, your home and, and the things you really love at home and stuff, it, it definitely puts a toll on you. So yeah, I think um, this year spending a bit of time at home, even these like two weeks that I've had, um, you know, before surgery and after surgery, I've had a lot of time to reflect on, on life um, and, and what's happened and how busy I've been and, and how much I've like pushed myself on the bike with training and off of the bike to just, get things done around home and just see people and stuff. And I've kind of learned that I might've been pushing that boundary of like over doing it, I guess you could say not over training, but just overdoing everything. Like I would never sit down, never recover, never just like take it easy. I'd always be having to do something, trying to get this done, that done around the house. And, um, yeah, just, kind of made me think like everything can stop in an instant, like breaking my ankle and maybe I do need to just uh, have a bit more time for myself, spend a bit more time with, uh, I guess, you know, the dogs, Emma, my wife, and and just enjoy like chilling a little bit more. So um, as much as, you know, it's a, a bad thing that I've broken my ankle, I think it's a good thing to actually 
make me reconsider, you know, what's really needed in life instead of what I want to do and, and get done. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm trying to think of the positives, you know, from, from this happening right now at this time, I, I'm kind of one that believes that everything happens for a reason. And that's kind of why I'm just going with, uh, what's happened now. Yeah, man, definitely. And if we can rewind a bit, so you actually posted the picture on Instagram. I'll have to, uh, put it up um so you that was canberra world cup in oh eight maybe i think it was oh eight i, think, I was on I Mongoose think it was and you came to watch yeah. it yeah or was it so yeah because it would have been so 08 or 09 was, was it always no oh nine i was on trick and i think it was still oh, yeah. on goose but yeah so like so you mentioned BMXing with a family and your dad's super into biking, which is cool and it and uh, it must be so nice to share it now that you're at the top level of sport. But was it like were you always destined to to race something, like either BMX or downhill? Because we obviously saw you you came out to Whistler quite early. So I don't think a lot of listeners know how early you were kind of looking at the international circuit and then you got spotted there and then you've, you know, been on teams with Sam Hill and stuff while you were a junior. But like was it like were you destined to just ride bikes for a living? Yeah, well pretty much like mum mum mentioned not long ago that I didn't like get up on my feet and start walking as a child for ages. Like I can't remember the exact age, but normally all these other kids, you know, would be crawling around and then get on their feet and start walking and I was an extra six months later down the track. Um, but I almost went straight from walking onto like a little pedal assist bike, like a little kid's pedal bike. Like I, I went from walking to on a bike. I didn't, I didn't walk for very long and just went straight onto a bike. And then that's, that's kind of turned into, um, just riding a bike for fun. I'd always do it after every single day of kindy school, um, everything. And then yeah, racing BMX, I had really good skill, but I guess my size was one thing that kind of held me back with getting pushed around on track and just the sheer power of, of racing. So my best result um, was like seventh in Australia for my age group one year. And then from there kind of got sick and tired of BMX um, and then kind of had a year off and then got introduced to mountain bikes. Um, started obviously bringing my skill from from BMX into mountain bikes and, and becoming pretty fast at it. Um, and yeah, that's when I kind of got into downhilling. Um, and then obviously enjoyed watching that when I watched you guys race the world cup in, in Canberra and the world champs in Canberra. And at that stage I was, I think I won a junior national title in under 17s or something. Um, and was looking pretty good. And mum and dad had very good, I guess people to ask questions off and, and what we should do. Um, and everyone said, just send him to Whistler, just send him to Whistler, go to Whistler, just go there, do crank works. You know, if he does really well there, then teams are going to look at him. So they saved as much money as they could. Dad was working two jobs. Mum was working like 24 seven, saved up money. We went to Whistler for, I think it was two or three months, like a fairly long period over the summer there did Crankworks. I ended up winning the junior races through Crankworks. Um, that's when I kind of got talking and I already had been talking to Sam Hill a tiny bit. 
um, from the national rounds and stuff. And then that's when I got talking to that team, Monster Energy Specialized at the time with Sean and JC and Sam Hill and, and Brendan was on there and kind of that's the stepping stone. Like that's where I got really realized that, you know, I could be a, a good rider for the team and, and for the junior world cups coming up in the next year in 2010. So um, I guess I just got to be thankful for mum and dad, you know, pushing really hard to get me over to Whistler and, and everyone that was around then telling them what to do and, and how to do it. And it kind of, from there, it all just fell into place. Like, I guess I've tried to just let my results kind of be the things that speak for me, I guess. And, um, yeah, then they just slowly started getting better and better on that, that first junior year. And now I'm, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 years deep and starting to feel pretty old. <laughs> I'm, I was doing the research. I'm like, damn, elite to 012, but he's only 28, but he's, he's kind of a veteran. Like if I'm thinking of someone with experience and, but you've always kind of been an older soul and it shows your consistency. But what was that like? Surely I was going to say like, there's, you've had some idols over the time when you're young, but surely Sam Hill was an idol at the time or someone you look up to, and then you're engaging a bit with him. And then you're literally talking to the team manager and then you get on the same team as like Sam Hill. Like I know it's a long time ago, but can you even talk to some of those feelings or what that's like? Yeah. Like I, I couldn't believe it to be honest. Like I haven't got goosebumps just talking about it now to be honest. But um, yeah, it was, it was like obviously Samuel being Australian, how he used to ride and how he was, uh, I guess, you know, like I would be up late watching, I think it was Freecaster TV back then, just like yelling at the screen for Sam to win and, and do so well. And the, the crazy wild runs that he would have um, was just insane. So he was by far like my top idol. And to be kind of going over to Whistler, I was there for a while riding. And then when Crankworks came into, into town, um, yeah, he kind of, you know, was like, Oh, let's go for a couple runs here and there. And we went riding together. And that was just, that blew my mind like crazy. I was riding with Sam Hill and Brendan Fairclough in Whistler bike park. Like it was just the craziest thing of my whole entire life. And then to be talking that I could be on that team, you know, the next year for world cups was, it almost didn't register. Like I was just there in the moment, having fun, riding, racing, doing everything um, to then, get the call up to be on the team. Um, and as soon as I had the call up to be on the team, I was back in Australia at that stage. I got a call from Sam and he was like, yo, do you want to come over to Perth and just like hang out for a week and just ride and do some training? And obviously like straight away, I was like, mum, I'm going like, I don't care. I'm, I was six, no 15 at this stage. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm going with this like 26 year old, just over to Perth, like I'm doing it. And she's like, all right, whatever. So off I went to Sam's house. Um, Brendan was there as well, I think the first time. And yeah, we were just hanging out and riding and um, training and stuff. And I was watching them doing, doing sprints. I think they were getting ready for, oh, when were they? They were getting ready for some World Cup season or some race and had to do sprints and stuff. And 
just watching Brendan suffer and Sam sprint off on flat pedals, both of them sprinting on flat pedals is pretty funny. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty surreal going from that to then being on the same team. We get to the, the first world cup, I think first or second world cup at, um, Fort William in 2010. And that was the year Sam crashed and blew his shoulder to bits. And then he pretty much, pretty much missed out the whole season. And I didn't get to ride with him that whole first world cup season of my junior season. So, um, that sucked a little bit, but it was pretty cool just riding with Brendan and I learned a lot from Brendan and, um, yeah, then obviously Sam came back later that year and did the unthinkable and won worlds at Mont Saint Anne with no training, no riding, no nothing. And uh yeah, just kind of like made him, you know, even more of an idol in in my eyes because, you know, to be out for a whole season with a pretty big injury, get surgery, everything, come back and then somehow win worlds, I was just like, that's what I want to be able to do, you know? Hey, well, you've got an opportunity coming your way this year. <laughs> uh, you might have to draw from that inspiration and phone Sam. Be like, how does this, how do I do this? <laughs> he can share those things with you now because he's, yeah, unfortunately. No, but I mean, it's, I think it's a cool, it's a cool like inspirational point. You'd be like, hey, Sam, I brought up this story and I need, and you're an enduro now. So he needs to just give you all the secrets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. I might actually give him a call now and be like, "Hey, I was just chatting, and yeah, I need to know how to get in the right mind space." And he'll probably just be like, "Ah, oh, you'll be right. Just ride your bike." I don't think he's a a man of too many wisdom words, to be honest. He just rides his bike fast, and it tends to work out. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask, like, what did you pick up from Sam? But I think uh, it's more the unspoken thing with him on the bike and his laid back attitude. But Thinking back to, so he comes back, he wins that, which was a ridiculous feat. And then what did you pick up maybe the next year, like consistently? What would you say like were some of the big things that you picked up from from being around Sam? And that was, you know, part of his, the heyday, you know, the legacy that was Sam. He was pretty God level um, during those years of downhill. Yeah, I think um, for me, like that next year when I was actually able to ride with him and practice with him at World Cups and stuff, um, obviously I was starting to become, um, like a, a bit, a bit faster as well. Um, so I was able to kind of keep up with him to a certain extent. And my, my biggest memory, like on the bike that I've learned from him is I would follow, like, obviously I followed Brendan for the whole 2010 year as a junior. Um, I was practicing in the same group as him and, and back then we were, racing as as an elite rider but also as a junior at the same time there wasn't separate categories um for practice and qualifying and race so um following brendan like as you know and as you would know pretty well he is quite loose on the bike and not one to uh keep the back wheel in a straight line at all um so honestly it was hard it was hard to follow brendan like i I thought that was just the normal of just following him and he's being loose and I'm trying to stay on the same lines, but his back wheels over that side of the track and his front wheels over there. And if he's off the ground, he's frigging sideways doing a whip. And when I came to the next year with Sam, I was following Sam and I remember at Fort William, I was riding with him and following him in practice and thinking, all right, we're going pretty fast and we're hitting all our marks and he's just, 
so confident and smooth on the lines that he was taking. And obviously the lines were pretty fast as well that when I kind of like would go into my qualifying run, I'd just hit the same spots, everything, and just remember from what he was doing. Yeah. I was going like really fast because Sam makes it look like he's going slow because he's so smooth and so direct on where he places his bike that I wasn't like thinking we were going that fast when I was practicing the whole week. So then I came into qualifying and I think I qualified in the top 10, like on my second year of juniors or something and, and just had a massive, like really good qualifying and I couldn't believe it. So stuff like that, where he would like kind of just like draw you along on, on your practice runs. And when you're watching him and following him, he's so perfect of where he wants to be it's like really easy to follow um, and it just makes you go faster without realizing it and, and without being, I guess, a bit nervous on how fast you go. So like if you were to follow Sam at one speed and Brendan at the exact same speed, a hundred percent, you'll be shitting yourself following Brendan more than following Sam. Yeah. Hey, hey Amen. I've also done both those things and followed Brendan probably far too often. And you, you're totally right. But I think that speaks to Samuel because he had some of these wild runs, right? And he's like, whoa, these lines. But I was like, those are just Sam lines. And some of them were like the insides or where he could get to. There was no point doing it, but he was able to do a line, which if I did it, I would be slower, but he was able to do an inside line as fast as I did the outside but it was like a shorter distance. And, and and he was actually really methodical about his approach. As you said, I've also watched on the side of the track, like, okay, what can I learn here with Sam? And it wasn't always groundbreaking stuff, but that consistency of overall speed that he had. And like you said, we, he probably dragged you up to that without, like, without you knowing, almost ignorance is bliss with Samuel. But he's a lot more methodical than some of those crazy runs sort of would make you think. Yeah, exactly. Like, I guess, yeah, Sam's, Sam's lines, like all the insides that he would take and everything would just like, you would, you would see it like in videos, Sam would come through and take some crazy inside line and you'd be watching like the likes of Greg G, all those guys yourself, just like standing on the side of the track going, how, like, how did he get there? How did he hold that inside so fast? And I don't know if it was just him just with that much confidence or the the pea gravel that he rides on in Western Australia, just every other piece of dirt in the world must feel like it's got hero grip. And he would just carve these crazy lines. And that's the same when I'd follow him, like they would be crazy, but if you'd follow him, like he's so perfect on where he sets up and stuff that it's doable. And I guess like I remember him telling me a lot of the times he would see a line in practice or something and know that, all right, that's going to be the fastest line. He wouldn't even do it until his race run. And like to have the confidence to not even try a line until the race run is just like mind blowing. Like for me, like I'm a very consistent rider that loves to build up my pace kind of slowly, I guess you could say. Um, so like for me, the more I do a line, the faster I'll be at doing that line where he was like, he could just save a line, not touch it and just execute it perfectly only in his race run. And the stuff like, you know, the, the wild runs where he's actually out of control 
in in those race runs where he was you know five plus seconds in front that's because like if you see sam out of control he's going faster than anyone else can on a bike yeah he had that ability and i think if you weren't aware of of uh say that skill set or or like what made him comfortable like that pea gravel he rode then he's you know he's it's much like you said it's hero dirt but I think he head fucked a lot of us. I must say, you know, like flat pedals, like, you know, people like Bryn Atkinson went to flat pedals for a year on the World Cup circuit. Like, because he was winning the way he was winning, unfortunately, you obviously going to compare, you're like, okay, but is that the secret? And unfortunately, it could take you down a rabbit hole of trying flat pedals or, okay, I got to inside every turn. Well, that's maybe not your skill set. You got to double down on, on what makes you good. And, yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy to see. And sometimes I think he just did it to fuck with riders, to be quite fair. Like, he might not even have run the insides in the race runs, but because we're there on the side of the track, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this line quite well, and you're going to think it's fast, and then you're going to end up doing it quite slow anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely an interesting uh, character. He likes to, uh, I guess, the Australian way of messing with people um he would you know like be pretty cheeky on and off the bike i reckon and and like you're saying like i wouldn't put it past him of absolutely blitzing this inside and probably surprising himself in the same fact to to impress guys like yourself on the side of the track and go oh shit that inside is quicker and then you guys just can't do it and he probably just goes oh well i'm probably not going to be able to do that inside that fast again and just goes back to the outside anyway so he's definitely a, a very cheeky bugger when you get to know him yeah definitely man and and that, that's pretty cool i mean yeah i don't know how much you want to take off brendan maybe on the riding side mentoring side i mean i know when he was on that team he might have missed a track walk or two uh due to some extracurricular activities so but you seem pretty pretty level-headed with that. Like, you know, you, you're there to do – I mean, I hope I'm bringing up some stories that you can uh, – you know, some untold stories. That's what this podcast is for as well, us catching up and maybe your version of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I I love Brendan. Like, Brendan's such a character. He's so good. He's got the very relaxed, fun vibe of racing and, um, like – there's, I remember the first World Cup that I ever went to, Brendan and Sam in Maribor 2010, pissing rain. Like the holes were bigger than I was back then and I wasn't much smaller than I am now. So the holes were huge. They went qualified first and second in the World Cup. Um, I'm there like I crashed in qualifying but just qualified as well. So we got all three riders through. There's me as a junior, those two qualifying first and second. I couldn't believe it. Brendan thought it was a great idea to eat like cooked pasta and a fair bit of it, probably like less than two hours before his race run. And obviously in a race run, it's pretty physical. He ends up vomiting in his helmet halfway down his race run, like pasta everywhere. Like just, there's just shit like that. That is so funny. Like all these all these friggin' stories I probably could tell you, like the amount of times that I've seen Brendan at a World Cup, finish track walk, have his shirt off, go like sit outside the tent with his shirt off sunbaking for a good hour, just getting absolutely roasted like a tomato. And then the next day I'm watching him at practice and he's just like 
all his energy's gone. He doesn't know why. He's like all lethargic. I like I swear I'd actually have a couple hundred bucks in my wallet if he like if the amount of times I've seen him do that, it's insane. Like he's just such a character, but he's like he's so fun to hang out with, ride with and and just like, you know, he's just good value, such good value. Yeah, he's a really in the moment kind of guy, and I don't think any of us would change him. And lots of people have said, "Ah, oh, you know, we maybe we don't want him more focused on World Cups because then he wouldn't do the shenanigans." But I guess you can learn pretty quickly what not to do with having a teammate like Brendan. And don't get me wrong, he's he's uh, been on the podium a gazillion times, and he definitely excelled like you did as a junior. And then what to do from from Sam Hill, and then you know, and Aaron Gwynn and stuff. So, yeah, that was a pretty cool story. But at the same time, um, you as a junior, people don't realize when you were on the circuit, you were racing as a junior age group, but there was no category, right? So you were in with the big boys from the get-go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So as a junior in, I was junior 2010-2011, I was classified as a junior and there was like a junior kind of, um, I guess, point system for the World Cup overall inside of just racing so for me to qualify for a race like to have a race run i'd have to qualify inside the top 80 of the everyone elite men juniors everything so it was hard like i was getting there and that was just a normal back then so we we didn't really think much of it and um yeah first world cup had just a tiny little crash where i washed my front out and i got back on my bike and went so fast after that and I think I came down in about – I honestly think it was 77th. Like I was about three places away from not qualifying. So I got super lucky. And then from there, um, I've, I only – yeah, I think I crashed real heavy before Valsol, um qualifying in 2010 and then just didn't ride fast enough and didn't qualify. So in 2010 at Valsol, I didn't qualify for – the race run, the main event, I guess you could say on the Sunday. Um, and then you fast forward a year later for my 2011 season, I qualified fourth outright in elite men and everyone, and then ended up getting fourth again at a world cup as a junior. And that's like, at that stage, I think there was only a couple of us. I think there was like Sam, maybe Greg, and maybe G that might've done the same thing in the past at that stage. And, um, or maybe Brendan as well. So yeah. And Brendan was, actually funny enough. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a very big thing that I did and I couldn't believe it. Like my nerves going in this day after qualifying fourth as an elite, you know, as a junior rider in elite, like I, I was sitting on the toilet, like honestly an hour before, my race run just like full squirts like I was that nervous it was just coming out like I couldn't (laughs) hold it back like I almost didn't race it was that bad I was that nervous and uh yeah to go in and to get a podium um was kind of the honestly one of the best feelings I've ever had like I've won the junior world championships I've won world cups and stuff but that race being so young and stepping on the podium and and doing that, it, it was such a, I guess, a big accomplishment that it was like that point where I was like, all right, I can, I can do this. I can win these races. 
Okay, so you're that nervous. I mean, I know the feeling. I qualified fourth at a Norba when I was first year over there. I didn't really have a chance when I was a junior, but I shit the bed and fucking went over the bars in a skin suit. So mine didn't end as well as yours. So I learned a little slower than you to deal with the nerves. But like, what did you do to get yourself into the mode to race down a hill after thinking you're going to be stuck on a toilet and then maybe bring us to like this day and age and on what like a pre-race at the top of a hill looks like. Like take us into your head. You don't have to give away any secrets, but I don't think they're secrets because everyone has to figure out their zone and their like sort of flow state but it'd be cool to to try understand what it what it's like to be inside troy's head at the top of a world cup dropping in yeah for sure so yeah back then like i went i went from the toilet pretty much to the pit got on my bike went up the chairlift to the top was chilling out there for a little bit still pretty nervous but kind of holding it together and as soon as i got on the indoor trainer to start warming up it was like, bang, something flicked in my head. Nerves kind of went away. I was just like fully focused on having a good time and racing my bike and, and just enjoying it. And I guess I was so nervous that all that energy was built up inside of me of nervous energy that it got translated into the race. And if we fast forward um, till now, um, and I guess, the, I guess the last, I don't know, six, seven years that I've been really consistent – I've kind of learned to accept the nervous energy and use it. Like a lot of people try and push it away and fight it. And really they, they think not having it is a good thing. And, and some it is good and some it isn't, but I think, you know, any energy that your body can create, whether it's nervous energy or, or just energy in general, like you've got to try and learn to harvest it in a way where it won't overwhelm you, but you can actually push that into your race run. So um, for me, like I just really enjoy being nervous. Um, I'll put on some music and sing and dance around like a bit of a loony tune around the pit and stuff and, and kind of just express myself in that way. Um, and then when it's kind of time to get ready for warming up and, and the business time, I guess you can say, I tend to kind of, I don't know. I, I find myself in a bit of a groove where it's all just like focusing in being really in the moment, I guess. Um, a lot of it is for me to recognize where I am. You know, I'm in this part of the world. I'm at a world cup. I'm about to do a race run, be present in the moment. And then that kind of draws my nervous energy into all right, let's get this shit done energy. And, and I kind of, I don't know, it kind of just puts me at ease a little bit and um, makes me focus enough for, to be really on it and, and not out with the fairies, obviously, for a race run, but just to, to really be ready for, for when the, the lights go green and you got to go. So, yeah, that's kind of where I've brought brought in through the years and I've learned how to deal with all the nerves and, and everything that goes with it. Um, and I tell you what, like qualifying first, no matter what you try and do, like the nerves just kill you. They like qualifying first can either give you, it obviously gives you a lot of confidence and be like, all right, I can do this. I can win. But no matter what you say to yourself, those nerves are so heightened. You just, you just got to run with it and just enjoy it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 
I think it's really cool that you open up about that because a lot of people, like you said, okay, so if I'm nervous, you're like, I mustn't feel like this. Well, unfortunately, it's part of the game. And you're saying even at the top level, you feel like that. And then you, you're you like, I'm going to embrace it. Like I, You can't block it out. Your body knows what's coming ahead. They know you've qualified fastest. You've got to go up and you've got to go deliver. But then you were like, but then I get in race mode. Then I, I want to have fun. And then when I get to race mode, I want to be in the present. You know, you need to be aware of your surroundings, aware of where you are, not thinking ahead, right? Okay, cool. I can win. I can win. But I mean, you've got to get to the start gate. Then you've got to get in. Then those beeps go. And I kind of used to um, use a technique of visualizing the first turn or two, like going well. That's me. That needs to be done because once I get out the gate, you know, hopefully the natural subconscious will take over of, of getting me down that hill. Yeah, for sure. Like that's that's something that us riders do a lot now with visualization and obviously knowing the track so well with GoPros and everything that we've got, you know, on the track and, and off the track to learn and and be able to like pretty much before a run, I'll go up to the top, top of the hill um, on the chairlift, get off, set up the trainer with my mechanic and stuff. Um, and then I'll just kind of take a good five minutes to sit down and I'll just visualize the track. I'll visualize every exact line that I want to take. I know where rocks are, where pebbles are, where this, I need to jump over this side of the track and be on this inch. And like, I, I have it so embedded in my head where I want to go and I'll visualize it perfectly. And then as soon as I've visualized that, I'm like, all right, I can just do it. It's almost like second nature now. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I've been doing a lot of that with Fabian. He's obviously a big visualization guy and, and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's been a very good learning process of how to be so, you know, embedded with your mind on what you want to do and then all your actions just follow. And it's kind of, it's a little bit scary how well it works and, and how much you can put into like you saying you're visualizing the first two corners and then because you know exactly where you want to go after that, once your emotions and your adrenaline kicks in, you're just like on that flight path of just getting it done. So it's just like, it's so embedded in, in us races that anything you could get offline super easily. Like when I crashed and broke my ankle recently, I was just offline that little bit and then things went bad. So it's, you know, the more you can be exactly where you want to be, the the better your run's going to be and the faster you're going to be. Have you ever crashed while visualizing? I have. I didn't stop the yeah. run again, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> nah, nah, I, I definitely have. I went through a portion at the start um, when I was really visualizing stuff of things just going wrong, me just missing corners, crashing, like, me being like, oh, I don't want to hit this stump or I don't want to crash. Like maybe I crashed in practice and like I honestly couldn't visualize myself getting through the corner without crashing and getting frustrated. And that's where I've worked with Fab and, and kind of gotten through that of being like, all right, when, when you get there and you can't get past in your visualization, do these things and that will help you kind of get past it. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a funny one that like your brain like is so – interesting to be like nah like you're gonna crash here and then your visualization does it even though you're telling yourself like no like you're not gonna crash here because you're only visualizing this but yet your brain's so adamant that you're gonna crash there and it's like 
it's this big thing. And I think it's one of the biggest things in this sport with there's so many fast riders these days, like the top 10, 15 can all win a world cup, but the mental side of it is like so massive on that one race run. There's so many different aspects going on on the track, off the track, on the run, you know, it just comes down to who has the strongest head really. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And now stepping away, um, being able to watch from the outside and, you know, I can pick up a lot of like subtleties with, you know, say your mood or things going. And uh, do you think, so this comes up a lot and I've changing my view as I get more educated on it. Like how much do you think is you're born with it naturally that, that headspace and how much is learned? Yeah, so I think... That's a tough one with with headspace. Like a lot of the questions are on this topic is how much is talent and how much is just mind. But if you're going to ask how much you're born with the mindset already and how much you have to learn, that's a very good question. Like I, I think a mindset can be it can go one or two ways. You can either be born with a really strong mindset and you don't have to work too hard to have, you know, that mindset of a race winning mindset um, with all the tools, obviously that goes with it to, to be able to win. And then I also think you can not be born with much of it, but if you work hard enough on your mind, you can definitely get there. So I don't think it's a, you need to have this much of born with it and this much of that. I think if you're, if you're pretty like, if your main factor is race runs and actually completing a race run, not crashing, hitting all your marks, you need to obviously work harder in the mental side of being like, so tuned into having that mindset that you can do it, that you're going to do it, that this is going to be right and this is going to work and blah, blah, blah. So percentage-wise, I'm not sure which one's better. I think the – the honestly, I think the taught one's probably better in the long run um, because you're going to learn a lot more getting to that point of race wins where if you're just born with it, it's a, obviously it comes a lot easier. So that's actually a really interesting question. I think that's that's a – pretty pretty good thing to think about yeah but i think you've answered it pretty well and it's interesting when you you ended with you maybe want to learn more of it and what comes to mind when you say that is if you're forced to go to the process and figure out how to do a clean run and then how to do a foster clean run you're going to do your preparation you're going to learn all these things you can have all these tools so when shit goes awry like you have a crash, you can then go back to the drawing board that you've created. Okay, well, I've got to practice like this. Uh, you know, I've got to do this process. Normally, when I'm in this mood at the top, I focus well. You know, and then you've taken the whole like results-driven confidence link, which actually isn't a thing, you know. You, you can't just have confidence from good results. I know momentum and confidence help, but I kind of like that approach. Like you need to be aware of things and find your tool set so that when things go awry, you can maybe get back to optimum performance level a little bit better. And a psychologist helped me look at that as well. He was like, look, when everything goes well for you, you're like, say, right there, you know, with some of the top riders in the world. But why are they more consistent more often? You know, they're just riding closer to their top potential. You've got the top potential, but then you dip and you've got to figure out how to bring yourself back and, and what that mindset is and, and the tools, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. I think you're exactly right. Like when you're born with a, a stronger mindset and, and things start to go wrong, you don't have that ref- reference back to then overcome it as easily as if you've been through the steps before. So yeah, I think, um, I, I, for me looking back at it, I think I was definitely born with a pretty strong head of being able to race. And I think that's my specialty is, is performing in a race run. Um, during practice, I don't feel like I'm ever the absolute fastest at practice, um, at all. And I tend to really pick it up for the race run. Um, but I guess because I've been at the top for so long, I've learned, slowly along the way things that I can do to like help me stay there with my mindset and and I guess the pressure of being consistent at the top that is just as hard as you know being mentally not quite there at the same time of of always being looked at that I could win a race or be on the podium or you know, every local race that I go to in Australia, everyone's saying that I'm going to win. And, and that's the hardest, you know, when you're, when you're the favorite, that's the hardest time for you to win. When you're the under the dog underdog, it's just super easy to just throw in a, a quick race run and, and get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think, you know, um, what Greg's been able to do, what you have be able to do, like to keep on delivering when you're not expected to be the consistent guy, then if you start winning every time, there's so much that goes into the sport. That's why, I mean, I think it must be so tough for Gwyn, right? For what he's what he was able to achieve. He set the bar so high for himself. And then all the expectations from the salary demands and the teams he was on, like, cool, so we're paying you to win. You know, it's like in motocross, the Villapoto thing, the Bubba Stewart thing. Like, those guys demanded a lot from themselves. They earned that big salary. But then, like, it was either win or a failure. Like, that's a pretty tough tough sort of situation to race from you know because it's not really sustainable forever yeah exactly like that and that's just the nature of this sport like obviously if you have one and you've you've been winning you're going to get paid to win because that's just how it works right like people pay people that win but then once you go from winning to maybe not winning and you still got all those people behind you pushing you to win that's when it becomes really hard and it, it honestly either makes or breaks people like you've got people that that are like greg that have been so fast for so long and consistent he's had yeah a couple up and down years but a lot of the time he's been right up there at least one race in every single year he has been either on the podium or won a race. Like he's got, you know, 20 plus win world cup wins and stuff. It's, it's insane. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult one. Like a lot of riders say, Oh, I don't have pressure. I'd only put pressure on myself, but to perform and to win, you do need that pressure from your sponsor, from your supporters being like, Hey, we're throwing everything at you to do the job here. Like we want to sell bikes to sell bikes. You need to win races and to win races, everything needs to click and go, go well. So um, yeah, like the, the pressure that Sam would have had on himself when he was winning all those races, the pressure that Gwyn would have had on himself, especially those seasons that he had, that he dominated everyone that would have been so hard, like to be on the top and know that, at some stage you're going to come down. Like obviously as soon as you're at the top, there's always a stage that you're going to come down. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It's a tough one. Like I, 
I've won these races here and there and been really consistent. So I've been close to the top, but I've never been on that top step where I've won the overall or won, you know, the elite world championships. So I've done these little ups and little downs, um, but I'm still yet to do that, you know, big, big up and, and try and hold it. And I think that's going to be a very challenging thing. Um, I'm excited for it. If it can happen, that would be amazing. Um, but yeah, just to, to have that, I don't think you could ever try and think about how that would happen. I think you just need to be in the moment and, and just kind of roll with it. You know, like you, you're never going to know how it's going to be until it's actually happening to you. Yeah, no, that's that's valuable insight. And yeah, I just look at it, I'm like, you know what, the more I think about it, he, Gwyn and, and some of the others have become like a, almost a victim of their own success. It, it, it's so ironic. It's like you, you work this hard to get to the top. And then, you know, there's a lot of the fans like, they, then they want to topple you. And they're like, but that's boring if you win. Like we want someone else to win. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, hate me for winning so much. Like that's what you wanted from the beginning. You wanted me to improve to win. But you're right, like you have to be super aware that it's going to end or like you say, you've got to stay present. Like how do I win a race? Like I don't win a race by thinking, oh, there's so much pressure to win a race. You, you do it by the processes and all that. And speaking of processes, um, it, it seems like it's been really good for you having a, a good friend as a mechanic. And I've been watching quite a few videos on your bike setup and, and the way you guys work together. It seems like you work pretty damn closely on the bike setup or is a lot of the input from from your mechanic yeah so yeah from 2015 um i guess an opportunity arose for aaron um, my mechanic now to come on board and work for um work for me as my mechanic um on the specialized team um back back then and kind of from there it's been really good like we're the same age we're from the same area in Adelaide so the exact same you know 10 15 minutes away from each other um and it's just kind of grown as a as a really good friendship into pretty much he's my best friend now so um it's yeah it's grown into like a really good friendship that's just trustworthy like we both trust each other so much um you know on and off the bike whether it's in just normal everyday life or if it's in the actual race itself and I think that speaks massively to how we've been able to progress with the bike setup progress with you know I might be saying one thing but he can see my I guess reaction or or feelings so that maybe maybe what I'm saying like I'm still holding a little bit back and I want this to change and stuff and we have a very good connection where we can talk about things and we know each other so well that nothing kind of gets left unturned and that that kind of helps us with um like he's learned so much on the bike um in terms of like suspension work and he's he's done like data stuff and and like really upped his game on on actually tuning the bike and, and making it work and speaking with specialized and now speaking with Canyon and, and kind of like talking to the engineers. Like I, I can't believe how much he's grown into like the person of knowledge that he is. It's quite insane. And, um, that has just helped so much. And we like, even this year, like we've done so much in this off season together cause we live together and or next to each other, should I say, 
and like we have a lot of days a week that we can go test rear shock, test forks, test the bike, change this geometry, change that, and just do things really quickly together. Um, and like we had the bike dialed, like so dialed for this season. So it's a bit of a shame that I'll be missing out on the first world cups, but just having that, like coming back to having that connection with your mechanic, a lot of riders, you know, don't see their mechanic until they're at the first world cup. And I feel like that would be so hard to get those little 1% efforts, like to win a world cup, you kind of have to be really with that person like you've seen Lewick and Jack they're so close they work so well together and look at their success you know like it, it just you need to have so much trust and faith in your bike and your mechanic that there's never been once with Aaron that I've gone to the start of a race a world cup or national race or anything that I've been worried that my bike is not going to get me down the hill yeah I mean it's it, it is fascinating because I think it's changed quite a bit and you know people change the game, Sam changed some of the riding and, and styles. And then I guess Gwyn took a little bit of the motocross background and that if you added to, to downhill and elevated, you know, and Greg's elevated the longevity game, but Loic definitely kind of brought testing and preparation to everyone's eyes as well, because normally it'd be like a team camp and then a race and everyone would be like, you know, they've all done one or two test sessions and then the first race goes how it goes and you figure it out and you do some mid-season riding. But Loic, you're like, shit, this guy's barely doing a run without a purpose. Either he's testing tire pressures or he's doing suspension. And it has kind of changed the game. And I've heard you speak about it a little bit of, of testing. And it seems like you're like, with having him so close, you can iron out those small details way before the first race. You're not on the back foot at all. You know, there's not a lot of, lot of doubt. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's exactly what what you have to do these days to to be ready for that first race. Like you don't want to come into the first race not knowing or not yeah, I guess not knowing like where you stand. Um, you're never gonna know where you stand pace wise unless you've done obviously races prior to the first World Cup with other riders and stuff. Um, but like where you stand comfortably with the bike, like I'll, I've been a big, I guess, believer in comfort on the bike over speed. So um, I guess in 20, 2020, the the COVID year um, that we had was a massive learning curve for me. And um, I've only just learned this. So yeah, it's only been this last two years that I've learned this, that we changed to, a full 29er we tested in that off season um after 2019 i got second at world champs to Luick. had a really good year um everything was going well on the 650b bike but we were like no nah, we're going to change to 29er front wheel for sure and then figure out whether we go hybrid or not um we did times and on my local track a full 29er was quicker the times were quicker so we went all right screw it let's go with that and at the same time as doing that, I kept kind of mentioning to Aaron like here and there that I just didn't feel 100% confident on the, on the setup, like on the bike, but the times weren't lying. Like I was faster on the 429. Um, and then I go over to the 2020 season. And to be honest, like for me, I was getting waxed. I was putting in the runs of my life and just scraping in a top 10, which, you know, like, 
is really good obviously but just not up to what my normal standard is so um from that year we learned a lot together of being like all right we can do all this data testing we can do times we can do everything but if i don't have the 100 percent comfortability and confidence in the bike that i'm riding when i go to a track that i don't know 100 percent like my testing tracks at home things are happening that i'm not used to and i can't control it so the the faster bike at home just kind of gets thrown out the window when you get to a track that it doesn't work on and um that's when we obviously went back to hybrid for 2021 season won the first world cup because i just i felt confident like everything that the bike that i would tell the bike to do it would do straight away without any hesitation or anything and that's honestly what you have to find these days like you need to be that confident and comfortable with your bike and your setup that you can do those those sam hill lines that we're talking about like those lines that you don't even think is possible but you're like you know what like i reckon i can do that because like where i point my bike it's gonna go yeah that's fascinating because that i think i chatted to you if I've got the timing right, I think we were. I think you were at Crankworx at 2020, and then I was doing the research for the commentary, and I was like, 29 of front and rear. I'm like, holy shit, that's a big surprise for a man of your height and how fast you'd been going on the 650B, and you were like, fuck it, I'm doing 650B at that time. But, I mean, it, it's kind of a natural thing. You're looking for those marginal gains, so you're going to try something that other riders are doing, or 29er is a new wheel set, so... So why not try it? But in, in hindsight, you learned that valuable lesson. And uh, depending on the rider, I think feel versus real or timing versus feel. Like you're a guy that needs to feel something and like how it feels. Even maybe if the other one tests faster. I mean, there might be that stage that you could get it down the hill, but I'm not 100% confident. So then you start doubting, you know, even though it shows it's faster on the time. Like if someone said, my rear rebound had to be super quick and I'm going to be a second faster. Man, I'm, I'm going to struggle to, I mean, on a small comparison, I would struggle to get it down the hill because I just don't like how it reacts on certain bumps or something like that. And and you had a few times where the back wheel, I think, hit you, you know, in the arse and that's not a confidence-inspiring feeling. Yeah, exactly. That's That's exactly where we got to. Like at home, I could place my bike exactly where I wanted it and – the back wheel wasn't in the way in in terms of you know like the track was a little bit flatter there wasn't as many steep sections or fast flat out drops or jumps so when we got to the world cups i started straight away like even before the first world cup straight away i was having these problems of the rear wheel just hitting me in the ass and locking up and pitching me forward and as soon as that started happening regularly on these world cup tracks confidence goes out the window and as we know with this sport if you don't have confidence you're not gonna win so that was um yeah pretty big learning curve that year but it just goes to show like even the amount of years that i've been in it we are always always learning and like we will never stop i bet you even greg is still learning to these to this day yeah absolutely i think that's what keeps him motivated which keeps him active in the sport is he's never satisfied training wise or bike setup you know we know he's a tinkerer and i think that keeps him energized to just constantly find those small gains so yeah absolutely agree with that now 
it's frustrating. It's a bit of a pill to swallow, especially now that you spoke that you got your bike set up. You're going to miss the first race. By the time this podcast comes out, it might have already happened. It probably will. But because we're doing a, a you know Crank Brothers preview show, I'm going to maybe try sneak this in there. Because now you can sit with me on the couch. And because you're not going to be there, maybe speak a bit more free. Like, who do you have your money on if you're forced to put some money on coming into the first race in Lords, knowing it's a little bit earlier, whether, say, weather's fair, you know, whether it's wet or dry, but it's a fair race. Like, what are we looking at? Yeah, that's a, cool. that's a tough question. Um, yeah. I would say, like, if I was forced to to put my hand on one person to to win the first World Cup, um, I would honestly, it's a toss up, and it's maybe it's maybe not who you think it might be, um, but I honestly think it's. I want to give you one, but I'm going to give you two. And they're obviously both French because obviously no, no, you, a lot can of give, you can give as many as you want. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I really think Tebow has got a bone to pick with last year, and I think he's going to come out swinging. Um, and another guy that obviously didn't race much last year in Amory, um, we just saw he won the race um, in Portugal, I think it was, um, last weekend, and he's obviously on form and can ride fast. So he's at a level where he's ready to win again. I think those two are a pretty safe bet that they will be one of the ones that win the first World Cup. Um, the reason why I didn't say Loris or Loic, um, personally, I think Lords is a very, I guess, gnarly track in terms of it's pretty slick. It might be pretty icy. They're pretty smart races in terms of the season and the overall. I don't think those two will be ready to push it enough to get the win at the first World Cup. And that's just kind of my personal thing. Um, I might eat my words here. We'll hopefully, we'll, we'll see pretty soon. Um, but yeah, I think, I honestly think like now that I'm sitting on the couch, I'm going to be watching it from home. Um, I've kind of got an unbiased uh, look at it. I'm actually really excited to see how the race goes and how it plans out, you know, as much as I'd love to be there racing, I'm actually really, really excited to watch it and, and see where people qualify and where they, where they come. And hopefully by sitting back and watching it live and stuff, I can actually learn something. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I think those are pretty awesome, uh, predictions and i and i have to side with quite a few of them but i will lead with i was researching and doing an article and until your injury i had you as the guy because of your consistency and i did some crazy research like in the last six or seven years you've got like the most podiums and now you've got the win at the first race so i was like on previous years like if you're trying to predict the stock market there's a few things you look at and like previous things current form stuff like that and i was like okay troy's one of the guys but now i've got to pause you you're not going to be there <laughs> tebow yeah. because he's young i think he can he can he can bounce back from the injury and he's like so young that i don't think he'll get affected by it i think like he might just come back swinging like you say 
And then Amri is like a man with past uh, form, and then he's like on this upward momentum. So I totally agree with you there. And then like, because it's a French race, Loris, Loic might want to up their game. But you, that's a great point. Like, hey, it's a long season. It's a little bit too early to be starting. So the likes of you and those two might have thought a little bit longer about how hard you're going to attack the first race, especially it, you can you can crash there pretty quick. And it is a fast-paced track and there are trees. So I think those are, are pretty good ones. And it's tough for me to bet on a new winner like a – Coulongs, you know, Benoit, like, can he break out? But it'll be tough. I don't know. It'll be tough to break out the first race this season. There's a lot of pressure and a lot of unknowns at the the first race. And Greg's just a slow starter to the season on paper. So it's tough to put your money on him, right? Yeah, exactly. And I guess you got to think of it um, at the same time. Like, you've got this first World Cup, and then we have a massive break to the second World Cup. So do you want to peak for one race and then try and play catch up? Well, not play catch up, but try and hold where you're peaking for five weeks before the second World Cup? Or do you want to go into the first race at 95%, do the race, and then build your way up to that 100% so then when you start the rest of the bulk of the season, you're on form and it'll be easier to hold that throughout the whole season, right? So this is something that it's our sports come to. Like you can't just go, you can obviously go from race to race, but the top riders, the riders that are, you know, the top three or five in the overall consistently, they, and myself, and, and I'll say it, I look at a season and go, all right, I can peak maybe twice at like an absolute maximum 100% um, two times a year. Do I want to peak for the first World Cup and then kind of try and peak again for world champs maybe? Or do I go, all right, this first race, I'm just going to like steady in, try and get a really good top 10 finish, maybe a, a podium, um, you know, like, and, and be happy with that and then peak at the second World Cup and then kind of have that little dip because it's really hard to stay at the top of your game the whole season and then come back strong for Worlds. Like you have to you have to think of the little ups and downs that you're going to have throughout the season and know your body and know your skill and know your recovery on when you can peak and when you can dip a little to when you want to really attack it. And I think that's something that Lewick has shown really well. He says over and over again that he has like these couple races a year that he can find the mindset to win. And when he's in that mindset, he knows that he's going to win. And most of the time the bloke friggin' wins. So um, it's, it's very interesting that case of, of the racing. It's so interesting to hear your thoughts and uh, I can, I can understand a lot of them. And with Loic winning the end of last year, kind of the way he did, I mean, that takes a lot of energy as well, right? So now to like get reset, get motivated, like you say, is he going to be ready to peak in March? Like that's a, it's a short turnaround of a season. And I always say that's, that's the challenge. And you've just spoken to it. You guys think about it. The experienced guys know how long this season is going to drag on now, but the young guys might just be like, well, I can peak, 
and then take a week or two off and have a little mini off season and then hopefully get ready for the second part of the season and maybe have some energy in the tank. Or they don't even think about it. You've just got Tebow and Umri that think, I'm going to go as fast as humanly possible down the field. That's what I do every race. I mean, he was doing it, remember when he got hurt at these French races? It's like, what are you doing going that fast at a French race? But he knows one one speed, you know, especially early in his career. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's definitely, uh, you know, going back to how Tebow and Amory ride is just one speed all the time. Whether they're fit and strong enough to hold on to that speed or not, they will always try and go that speed. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And we've seen that in the past. And then um, I guess you also have to take into consideration like, we're only in March. Like it is very, very early in the season. And for myself being Southern hemisphere, I've had a whole summer to train. I've had good weather, good riding, everything. So my fitness and my time on the bike might be up a little bit on say the European rides that have been and the Canadians and stuff that have been in a lot of wet weather and cold weather, um, depending obviously where they live in, in Europe can help that. Um, but then my fitness and time on the bike could also backfire because March Lords snow rain wet, like it could be really bad. And I haven't seen a wet friggin downhill track for, probably since snowshoe when it rained that one day for the last world cup. So, you know, it could go either way here. So I think like there's a lot of hype built up for this first race and I'm actually pretty excited to sit back and watch it unfold, to be honest. Yeah. It might be one of the better ones, especially if it rains halfway through the final, you'd be like, ah, you know, the weird, the way the world works. I'm sitting out here recovering with my foot up in the air. So I I appreciate you opening up and giving us a very unbiased look to, to these guys that you, you're going to be later in the year trying to beat. And I think that's an awesome thing about our sport. There is a a great amount of camaraderie and uh, well, speaking about support. So you, you mentioned your parents, but I did want to ask, what's it like now with what they put into you and you guys seem like such a tight knit family. And I love seeing your parents at the races, which they get to still come to, but now you're in a factory pit trying to win a race. Like what's it like having your parents there now or sharing it with them now that you're, you know, further along in your career? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been awesome. Like growing up and how, like from when I started racing BMX to now winning world cups, junior world championships, you know, getting paid a a decent amount of money to do it all. Their support has not changed from day one of BMX to where I am now. So it's, it's, it's just, I guess it's just mum and dad, just absolutely loving, loving mountain biking, BMX cycling in general um, and watching me grow up throughout the years of racing and, and seeing my progression and, and getting all these good results and being there and being, you know, able to watch me do a lot of these things has been pretty awesome. And like they, they put so much into me and, and obviously I've been um, lucky enough to help them out. Um, I guess a little deal that we've had for a fair few years now is in a world cup, um, in the previous like season. So say like last year I won the first world cup 
um, I will then buy them tickets to come watch World Champs the next year. So I guess my bonus from winning the World Cup will pay for them to come over to watch me race for, for free um, the next year. So that's kind of like the little the little fun things that we get to do now, which is pretty awesome. And like, I can't obviously thank them or, or pay them enough or do anything to, to what they've done for me in the past and, and to get me where I am. So it's just awesome to have, you know, family so close and so excited. And, um, like with Emma, my wife, she, she hates flying, so um, I don't have to worry about buying her a ticket overseas anytime soon because I don't think she'd get on a plane. But, um, yeah, it's just pretty awesome to have, you know, all the family around me just super excited to to be in this together and, and, and be, yeah, watching me what I do. Oh, that's awesome to hear. I love that bet because it's pretty win-win for you. You know, like you have to fork out, but that's because you want to race. Like that makes you feel pretty good. And then you get to share another race with them yeah. and have some yeah. some good kind of, you know, vibes when the when the parents say that's so cool. Maybe we'll, uh, you've given me a lot of your time. I know you've got a little bit more of it than, than you normally have <laughs> with the old injury, but we'll wind it down maybe with one or two fun ones and, and one or two short ones before I, I let you get back to the recovery and um, so if you could change something about the sport in this day and age, maybe what would it be? And then also what you do like about the sport now that you are a veteran of it. I hate to say it. You're old now, man. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, I definitely feel uh, a little bit older, especially when you see like when you see younger riders come up and get on the podium with you, that's one thing. But when they start beating you and they're younger and um, it wasn't, Till like last year or maybe the year before I was the oldest man on the podium and I think I was in fifth place or something and I was like hold on this is what's going on here and I was like I must be older now but yeah it's pretty funny how how quickly uh life goes on and and the years go by but um yeah if I if I had to change something with the sport now um I don't know I think honestly the main the main thing that I'd love to see happen, maybe not, I guess it is a change in a way, but I'd love to see Australia, New Zealand, Southern Hemisphere take on some World Cups. Like we're very heavily in Europe and obviously that's for a lot of big reasons um, with the tracks and the availability and the time of year and everything. But, you know, if they can run a race in March – as a world cup in Europe, how, how about we try and do, you know, a race in Australia, a race in New Zealand, um, a race in Indonesia, Bali, China. I don't know. Like, you know, there's a lot of places that could be good for it, um, to actually create like a world tour. Like, yes, it costs more money for the teams. It's harder for the UCI. Obviously Australia and New Zealand aren't bidding as high as these other world cups. And that's why they're not involved. But I feel like there needs to be a certain point where UCI goes, all right, let's maybe not make a lot of money on this world cup, but let's actually have a world series where it's around the world, not just in Europe. So that's probably one thing that I'd love to see change um, towards the future, not just because, Obviously, a lot of it is I am Australian and I'm close there and, and whatnot, but just the the whole like going overseas for Australians, New Zealand, like it's so hard the amount of time we have to spend away from home. Like 
in between World Cups, like Europeans can go home for two days and get a reset where we are stuck over there for that whole week kind of thing and we don't get to come home. So it kind of it feels a little bit unfair in a way um, where it'd be cool to just kind of just travel that bit more and just have it a bit more open. So, yeah, I think that would be pretty cool and I'm sure – yourself and stuff um you've raced in in australia and new zealand they're pretty cool places and it would be pretty sweet to to have those places come back onto the circuit yeah i couldn't agree more i think it's a great bit of like you gave a positive uh example with some solutions like maybe there's a way that it gets subsidized or you guys figure out a way to make it financially make sense but what it also brings to mind is you went and watched a World Cup in Canberra, then the World Champs. Like that little bit of an experience might have created the catalyst to take it to the next level. And the same happened to me. The World Cup came back when I was 12 or 13. I did the Citizens Downhill and I was sharing a shuttle truck with Cedric Gracia and, you know, getting autographs and asking for goggles. And I mean, that's probably most of the reason I was like, so you can make a career of this. I won't go to university or I won't try cricket or tennis, a mainstream sport. This Donald thing seems pretty cool. So it has a knock-on effect for the next generation, which is, yeah, it's a bit unfair that they're not getting exposed to it. They're only seeing it on TV. So I, I preach to that and you said it. So you're going to have a World Cup in March, but it's in Europe. I didn't say it, but it doesn't make any sense to me. That one should have been in the Southern Hemisphere, <laughs> you yeah, know, like yeah, whatever. Don't. But things happen for whatever reason. I'll I'll pause on 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 that. We all know it's hopefully the weather's not too bad. But um, no, that's great feedback. And uh, man, I think that's a good place to wrap it up because that's a positive way. We hope that there could be more races. You're Australian. It's great having races out there and. Uh, Obviously, the fans can follow you. It's Troy Brosnan on Instagram. Nothing fancy or different there, right? Yeah, yeah, that's easy. Yeah, follow me or or not. I'm not not too fussed on it. It's just uh, yeah, you can either watch what my life involves is, which is pretty much just dogs and um, horses now at this stage, and uh, yeah, riding a bike a little bit, I guess as well. <laughs> what have you got horses on the property, or what's what's the horse thing? Yeah, so into yeah, yeah, the wife is massively into horses. So we've got a few horses on the property, um, got a few acres as well. Um, and yeah, it's just pretty cool. Like I've, it's only happened in the last year um, where I've moved onto this property and she used to just horses away, but now we've got them on there. And honestly, they're just like big dogs. Like they're, they're just like, you get to learn their personalities and they're pretty funny and, and fun to be around and, crazy how you can be the boss like there's this 700 kilo animal in front of you twice as tall as you but you can like snap your fingers and they'll shit themselves like it's it's quite quite funny but they're pretty awesome to be around and um like my my wife and i love animals any animals and stuff so it's pretty cool to just have a have a bit of a farm with a few dogs and and a few horses and yeah it's pretty pretty relaxing well, Troy, thanks so much for your time. And to the listeners, definitely follow along and, 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 and support his recovery. And I think Troy's only been good for the sport. And I think there's many more wins. So, yeah, share it, do the reviews, do the 
do whatever you guys do. Uh, I appreciate all the support. And uh, thanks again to Troy. And again, if you've got any questions for me or guest uh, examples, hit me up. You guys know what to do. Stay well. And thanks again, Troy. Thank you. Thanks for the chat. And one last thing before you guys go. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us hopefully a five-star rating and review. I read all those reviews. It's awesome getting them. If you got any feedback, you want to send me a message, I get all those messages. I try to respond to them all. I really appreciate it. It's been a fun journey so far. So until the next one, stay well.